beginning a series today called Making Change. And uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's so funny to me when I think about talking about stuff like this. Like, you know, nobody likes talking about money um, at all. And my goal with this series is I'm not trying to get a new suit. I just want to get that out the way. I'm not trying to get a new suit. When's the last time you see me wear a suit, right? Like, I ain't trying to get a suit. I ain't trying to get a robe. When's the last time you see me wear a robe? I ain't trying to get that. What I'm trying to do is help all of us with our personal finances. I believe one of the strongholds, one of these strangles we have is our finances and uh, becomes a place of contention in our lives, becomes a place of contention even with the scriptures. It has been mistaught, it's been misread, it has been misinterpreted, and so I want to take some time to deconstruct, reconstruct, unlearn, relearn, and prayerfully just give you some language to it with the word of God around making change with your change. God did not say, God did not send his son to die for us to sit here with tw- three payments of $29.99. I just, I just want to be really clear. Like, God did not send Jesus down here for layaway. Don't get weird. Don't get weird. Okay, it's, it's good, right? Like, he didn't give all of his son for a GoFundMe funeral. What he did do is he sent his son so that we might have life and have life, what, abundantly, Right? And so I want to unpack finances. I pray it makes you uncomfortable and comfortable, and I pray that it leads us. And my goal with the scriptures is to prayerfully give us language for our futures. So here's the four principles. If you say them with me, everyone say less is more. Everyone say stress is bad. Everyone say giving is good. And everyone say tomorrow matters. Grab your Bibles, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I want to read the New International Version and we'll read the message translation. And I want you to see what uh, the writer, um, he gives us. Some say it's Solomon. It may or may not be. We don't know exactly who wrote this chapter, but uh, this, the words are powerful. And I saw that in all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This, is too mean, this too is meaningless a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves, but better is one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. Here's the message translation. Then I observed all the work and ambition motivated by envy. What a waste, smoke and spitting into the wind. The fool sits back and takes it easy. His sloth is slow suicide. One handful of peaceful repose is better than two fistfuls of worried work, more spitting into the wind. Everyone say, less is more. You may be seated. Less is is more. You know, I I think it's so interesting. I want to start with definitions. I think definitions are so important. I want you to think about for yourself, if you want to write these down or in your notes, what does money mean to you, right? When you define money for you, What does it mean? Is it a tool for achieving your goals? Is it a valuable resource? Is it a subject that is just taboo? I want you to think about what does money mean to you? And then secondly, do you identify yourself as a spender or a saver? Are you a spender or are you a saver? On our website, um, on friendshipvaleo.org, you click on connect and click on blog. I gave you, I gave a debt reduction kit, a student loan removal kit, a car and motorization guide. I put four different guides online. I forgot the last one because my goals for us are fourfold in this series. Number one, if you don't have a budget, I really want you to create a budget. I want you to take looks at your budget, your weekly and monthly budget, and I want you to pray over your budget. Amen, somebody. 
Too often we make budgets and don't seek to the one who has all wisdom to manage the wisdom he gave us. So I want you to create a budget and then allow God to give you wisdom to keep your budget. It's one thing to raise the bar. It's another thing to keep the bar. Say it again. It's one thing to raise the bar. It's another thing to keep the bar. Great leaders don't just raise it. Great leaders teach people how to keep it. So that's the first thing. I want you to lead yourself first before you try to lead others. Number two, I want you to research and look into legacy leaving for your children. Life insurance isn't just for you to die. Life insurance is to help you live, right? And so legacy is not something that you have when you die. Legacy is what you build while you're alive, right? Number three, I want you to work towards being debt-free. I want you to think of debt-free like having weights around your ankles, right? Like we go and get a car, and you go get a car, right? And then you go get a car, and it's like, cool, we're going to run your credit so we can see how much weight can you handle on your ankles. And so we're just dragging more weight, and we're going to smash your credit because you've got Target on this ankle, and I don't know, Macy's on this ankle, and JCPenney, for those of y'all who stop at JCPenney, JCPenney on this ankle, and Sears, are they still even open? Sears on this ankle, and then a more mortgage on this ankle and student loan debts, and then you go to the car payment and they're like, you can afford, like, it's amazing how much we're tethered to somebody else's vision and we're spending money with interest to pay off some other company's vision. I want you to work towards snowballing your debt. And then lastly for us as a church, I want to challenge us to be a church where 40% of us trust God with 10% of our resources. And so we'll explain this because I think for a lot of us when it comes to money, it's like being on a treadmill. It's a lot of motion but it's no movement. And so you're going here, you're going there, you're engaging, you're sweating, you're trying to do this. You're doing, and a lot of our lives, we're, not, we're pursuing who we aren't instead of becoming who God has called us to be. And so you're in motion doing the same thing over and over. You wake up and go to a job you can't stand, get into a rush hour, listen to the same podcast, the same old people telling you how to get yourself free. You feel good, and then you go to work, and then, ugh, but I got to work to pay my bills because we live in a world right now in capitalism where we are literally just working to exist, gain and add and more and more clothes and more people and more time and more money and more engagements and more friends and more followers and more statuses and more tweets and more places to travel and more posts to put up on Facebook because everything is about more. So I'm not living my life to live the life that God's called me to live. I'm living my life because I need more. And so I want you to get to a point where you are tired of being stressed out, living a life that you aren't called to live and live your own life. Because sometimes we look in the mirror in the morning, it's not mirror, mirror on the wall, God, give me peace so I can go forward. It's mirror, mirror on the wall, give me some attention before I fall. Mirror, mirror around me, Give me some makeup to cover up my insecurities. And when will we stop allowing the world to be the mirror that dictates our destiny and you begin to dictate your own destiny with your core values and principles to own your faith, your family, your fitness and finances and invest in your life to please God because God is the one that's going to look at you and say, well done. That's why the writer of Proverbs says to walk with the wise and become wise. Here's the principle. Experience plus reflection gives you insight. Experience plus reflection give you insight. I want you to look at your experiences. I want you to take time to think about it. That's why we live in a world of reactions. Have you ever noticed that? All the popular TV shows, reactions. Breaking news, what is your reaction? Game just ended, what is your reaction? Everybody wants a reaction. Social media is a reaction. Something bad happens, a reaction. And so we, my challenge to you, here's the principle I'll give you. This is so, I love this type of stuff. It's, it's the three-second rule. If you haven't had this, the three-second rule, that before you say something, stop for three seconds. 
Because we love reflect, we love reactions. Game just ended. What is your reaction? The quarterback is terrible. The whole team is trash. Fire everybody. That's a reaction. Reflection says, let's take a look at the entire season. Pull yourself from where you are to a 10,000-foot view. And when you begin to look at the totality of your life, experience plus reflection gives you insight on the steps to take forward. I want you to do the same thing with your money. Because right now it's black, it was Black Friday and then what? Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, whatever. And it's like don't go to church on Sunday, right? It's all this type of stuff that we got going because everything is about reactions. What? Amazon has a sale. I got to get it. You know you don't need another crock pot. But it's $25.99 on Friday, right? You know you don't need another outfit. You don't. You don't. You don't wear the clothes in your closet. But Macy's has a sale, right? Because it's all about reactions instead of reflection. In a world that sounds a lot like sin. Genesis chapter 2, Satan was talking, walking with that. God was walking in the garden. And then Satan embodied this lizard on a tree. And all he tempted them with was more. Did he really say you can't eat here? Did he, did he really say you can't go to Macy's? I mean, did he, did he really say you shouldn't get a whole car payment for Christmas? Like, did he really say just, like, don't get another? Like, did he really? That's, and God is walking with you in the garden. But did he? Because more is available, but it's the blessing of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Do you want God walking or do you want this apple? Do you want God walking in the garden of your life? You have access to the presence of God, or do you want more apples? This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes 4 is talking about. The king of Jerusalem, we believe, is writing this. He's giving some reflections on his life and connection to God. It's a very introspective look into his life where he begins the book of Ecclesiastes, and he screams out, everything is meaningless. Here's what that means. What the writer of Ecclesiastes is is saying, because often we read this, and it's like everything's meaningless, relationships are meaningless, everything's meaningless. What he's saying in Ecclesiastes is that anything that distracts you from a sound relationship with God is meaningless. And this writer is telling us not to get rid of everything. He's not telling you to kill everything and get rid of everything, no new friends, all of that. He says, I want you to see where we waste things unnecessarily. And in chapter 3, he says, there's a time for everything under the sun and that we can never figure out God. So just live and love the relationship you have with him. Why? Because unnecessary boundaryless relationships are meaningless. Then in chapter 4, he revisits the moment he had with oppressive leaders in leadership, and he said, it is better for me to be dead than to work under an oppressive leader. Then we get to our text. So verse 4, he says, we work hard, verse 4, because we're jealous of somebody else. That's meaningless work and meaningless relationships. Verse number 5, he says, literally, laziness is literally killing yourself because laziness kills your purpose. It's a meaningless life. Verse number six, better is one handful of peace than two fistfuls of worry. Because worry, he says, look what he says here, worry is spitting into high wind. I want you to think about it like this. Imagine you're outside and the wind is blowing in your face. What the writer here is saying is literally you are spitting into the wind and the spit is coming back on your face. Whenever you are worrying, he says literally you are spitting on yourself. And through all this reflection, he says, here's what I'd rather have. I'd rather have one handful of peace than two fistfuls of worry. 
I'd rather have one handful of helping someone else. I'd rather have one handful of giving to someone. I'd rather have one handful of joy, one handful of encouragement, one handful of taking a nap, hallelujah, one handful of enjoying your children, one handful of going to the park, than two fistfuls of worry. Because here's what he's teaching us, that less is actually more. Worry takes away the joy of Christ that comes every single morning. Because worry is the misuse of the imagination. Better is one handful of peace than two handfuls of worry. Now, I know you've heard that and you know this stuff. Pastor Justin, this is basic. I don't need to know this. Yes, peace is better than worry. We know that. Then why do your statuses reflect more worry than peace? Why do your conversations in the foyer reflect more worry than peace? Why do your relationships reflect more worry than peace? Why does your worship reflect more worry than peace? Why is peace something we have to stretch for and pray for and call God for and fast for, but worry is something we wake up and hold on to daily? We all are, most of our statuses and videos are about worry and tea and fear that things are going to fall apart. But he says literally, better is one handful of peace than a whole timeline full of worry. And all throughout the word of God, there's a reason why God is challenging us to stop worrying. I'll give you the scriptures, Galatians 5 and 1. It is freedom that Christ has set us free. So what do you do? Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Matthew 6 and 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? But that's what the pagans do, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and everything you need will be given to you. What will be given to you? Everything you need to eat, everything you need to drink, everything you need to wear. God said, did not save you from sin to worry about the wages of sin. He saved you and gave you peace. And I want to remind you, I want to give you the promise of Abraham. The Bible says that God tells Abram, he says, Abram, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. When you read the Hebrew, he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will bless the one who curses you because you always have more for you than you have against you. I'm going to say it again because I want you all to hear me. You all, you're so worried. You always have more blessings for you than you have curses against you. And let me give you this too. The loudest voices are often the most meaningless voices. And you're making financial decisions based upon meaningless voices. This is what the writer is trying to challenge us to do. Everything is meaningless if it's not solidifying your relationship with God. Everything is meaningless if it is not improving your relationship with God. So what do you do to have a better relationship with God? What better is one handful of peace than two fistfuls of worry. So I want you to consider today, and as we get into these principles, I want you to consider to you what really matters to you. Like what gives you peace? I want you to think about that. Like, what gives you peace? Don't, you're not answering to impress someone. You're answering for you. What gives you peace? Like, if you had a day and you were just like, this day is my peace day. And what is your peace day? What are you doing at 8 o'clock on your peace day? What are you doing at noon on your peace day? What are you doing at 5 o'clock on your peace day? Are you hanging out with your children, your grandkids? Are you playing sports? Are you watching sports? Are you, are you going to work? Are you loving yourself? Are you traveling? Are you ministering? What, what does that look like? And I want you to consider this. When you think about everything in your life that gives you peace, over the last month, how much did you invest in what matters to you? Like, how much did you invest in what gives you peace with your paycheck? Like, I really want you to think about this, because we invest in so much stuff. 
clothes and cars and people and time and dinners and lunches and brunches and drinks and mimosas and wine and all this stuff. Did, that, did you invest in yourself? Are you sowing back into you with your resources? Because we invest in so much stuff. And if you matter and you do, invest in your peace too. Romans 8 tells us we have hope. Ecclesiastes 4 says to have a handful of peace. Scripture speaks against fear and worry. So let's apply that to our money. Here are the three principles. If we're going to have less is more. If we're not going to spit on ourselves in the wind with money. Number one, I want to challenge you to cut back. To cut back. And it's not just cutting things out of your life. I want to challenge you to cut back. John 15 Jesus tells us, I'm the true vine, my father's divine dresser, that which does not produce, he removes, that which does produce, he prunes, so that it may produce more fruit. That which does not produce, he kills, he keeps dead. That which does produce, he trims off, so it can organically produce more. John 15 tells us that God looks at the vineyards of our spiritual lives, removes the dead stuff, and prunes the stuff that has life. How's it apply to us? My first apartment, I had one closet. I had one closet. First apartment, I was in Milwaukee. I had one closet. Moved out of house, my mom's house. Lived downtown Milwaukee. Had an apartment. Had one closet. Seven days a week, 168 hours a week, I could fit all of my clothes into one closet. When I moved, I filled up one duffel bag. That's all. I had one closet, one duffel bag. Seven days a week, I had more, I had more than enough clothes that I was mad I didn't have enough to wear with one closet. Now we got a walk-in closet at our house. We got a storage unit. And now we don't have enough space for our stuff. Y'all can look at me like I'm crazy. The number one bills I'm seeing in Vallejo, Storage America. Because we got a whole bunch. I walk into some of y'all's houses and got to walk over 1946 and got to walk over 1972. Because we love stuff. We feel like Oscar the Grouch and it's not trash. It's your stuff. Because you got to keep it. Because you never know when that style may come back in, right? You never know when you may wear, wear, wear that T-shirt because it's your lucky pair of pants. And we just have a whole bunch of stuff. And we go out and get paid. And what do we do? We buy stuff. Not because we need it, but because we can. Here's a principle. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. I'll say it again. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. Jesus looks in the vineyard. He sees the vines that have fruit. He rejoices. He goes and trims them back so that organically they can produce more fruit. John 15 challenges us to cut back the places we are fruitful so that God can continue to give us more fruit. This is trusting God with your resources. Could it be that some of us get so excited about fruitfulness in our lives because we're, we're not, sorry, excited about fruitfulness in our lives because we're comfortable with dead branches. You're comfortable with dead mindsets. This is what my parents did. This is what my family always did. Can I give you this principle? Just, it, it, may, it may explain it, but it doesn't excuse it. That was so good. Your parents may have done it. Your family may have done it. Your friends may have done it. Your old marriage may have done it. But that may explain the behavior that doesn't excuse the behavior. And too often we're comfortable with dead branches in our lives that God comes along and cuts. So we get mad at God because he cuts dead stuff instead of asking God to prune the things so we may uh, produce more fruit. So we get comfortable with dead patterns and dead generational curses. So you married with kids hanging with single people. That's weird. That's weird. 
That's weird. You sitting here and you're comfortable with old mindsets talking about what your mama did with her money or what your daddy did with her money. No, what are you doing with your money? You're acting, you're living with a full-time job, spending money like you're in college. That's a dead branch. God comes along and says, no, what is living for you? The job that is going well, I'm going to trim so that I can teach you how to bear fruit. God is not here to ruin you. God is here to teach you how to maintain the blessings he's given you. So let me give you this about those of you who got closets full of stuff. Let me tell you something. Some clothes you'll never fit again. I ain't scared of none of y'all. I'm going to be very clear. You will never fit that again. I had to get rid of a suit. Oh, I had that thing trimmed up. I had literally my body goals was to get back to my shape when I was in college when I played basketball. And I had a picture come up in my memories. I got so mad. I said, why did you keep eating chicken? And I sat there, and I looked at it. I had the suit. It was so nice from Joseph A. Bank. I had the thing trimmed. Oh, I was like, the day I slide up in there and that, it was over. And my wife looked at me one day. She said, babe, you can't even get that thing over your foot. Like, what are you doing? Because some clothes, you'll never fit again. Some stuff just don't, the style is dead. Like some of y'all got bell bottoms. Some relationships are just not welcome in this season of your life. Not because they're bad people, it's just you've grown. John, Mark, and Paul had a conversation in the book of Acts, and literally they had a conversation. We are going to build the gospel, we just can't do it together anymore. Some relationships are great, they're just not great for you. And you cutting some things out is not a bad thing. You are cutting things to bear more. It's a challenge to use your money wisely. Because here's the principle. Life is not about the abundance of stuff. It's not just about adding more. It's about having meaning and purpose. So less stuff means more friends, deeper relationships, and more time and less stress and more experiences with the same money. So I want you to cut back. Number two, I want to challenge you to clear out. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 gives us these words. Paul says this. I'll start reading at verse number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. For though we live in the body, we don't wage war in an unspiritual way. Because the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish disobedience once obedience has been confirmed. My life is not about the abundance of possessions. Marie Kondo, there's a series on Netflix called Tidying Up. And what she does whenever she enters a space, the first thing she does is she goes into the space and she thanks the space. Thank you, room, for holding my junk. Thank you, items, for what they mean to me. Thank you for your space. Thank you for everything that you've given me in my life. And I want you to think about your life. We've done this the past week, and I want you to continue to do it. Be thankful for what you have. Like, I want you to be thankful for clothes and cars and your thinking and the scriptures you know, the engagement with God you have, the relationship you have. And then what the text teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is once I'm beyond my gratitude, then I'm asking God what to do with what I have. And some things need to be cleaned out. Because anything that will not assist you in this phase of your life, be thankful to God, but grow in grace, and it's got to go. If you're going to be a faithful steward of God, you are constantly making room for God to move in every area of your life. 
Every day, I am making room for God to work. Every day, I'm making room for God to speak to me. Every day, I'm praying that God makes things clear. I am making room for God to show me God's self in a way I have never seen God before. But maybe the reason we get weird at tithing time and we talk about God opening up the windows of heaven is because there's no room for God to come into your finances. God's not going to bless your clutter. He's going to bless your clarity. Oh, my God, I'm talking in this place. And so we say, God, open up heaven over us. And God is like, there's no room for me. Because your finances are cluttered with old mindsets about God. Your finances are cluttered with old thought patterns. Your finances are cluttered with a lack of trust. Your finances are cluttered with trauma. Your finances are cluttered with foolishness. Your finances are cluttered with old ways of thinking. Your finances are cluttered with debt. So you're saying, God, make a way. God, show up. God, come into my life. And God says, there is no room for me to work. I've got to move some stuff. And then we get mad at God when he moves something out of our lives. Paul says, no, here's what you do with that. You take those thoughts and you make them obey Jesus. I'll tell you this, God has given you authority to clear out anything in your life that would restrict his presence in your life. You have the authority, church, to clean out old mindsets, to clean out old thinking patterns, to make room for God. I could talk a whole bunch about other financial stuff, but if we don't get this mindset thing right, everything else goes away. You have the authority, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, to clean out mismanagement of money in your finances, to clean out old thinking patterns, to clean out comparison syndrome, to clean out the fear of missing out, to clean out the you only live once syndrome, because Paul says in the scriptures that we don't hold on to old mindsets, we demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments, and everything that is raised up against what God is calling me to do, I call it captive and make it obey Jesus. And so if I were to talk about that and tell you that in a relationship, we'd be shouting. If I were to talk about that and getting something, we'd be shouting. But I'm telling you, if you want to be wise with your finances, every single negative stronghold from your family or from your home or from your past, you can tell that thing to shut up and obey Jesus. You take any thought pattern that's against your joy, against your peace. When is the last time debt brought you joy? No, seriously, we scringe at the Bank of America notification. Oh, my God, what did they say? Did I overdraft? How about I didn't overdraft? Oh, my God, hey, hold that check till Tuesday because I get paid. Like, all, God says, I command all of that to obey Jesus. What mindsets about your money do you have that are worldly, argumentative, cause you to be jealous, and cause you to disobey the cause of Jesus? If Jesus were to ask your yes does your finances stop your yes? Oh, my God. If God were to call you to be the person he called you to be right now, if God answered every single prayer you've been praying, do you have the wisdom to maintain it? Yeah. This is the mindset shift, y'all. This is what says I'm taking my insecurity and telling it to obey Jesus. I'm taking my need to compare myself to others and telling it to obey Jesus. I'm taking my spending habits and telling it to obey Jesus. I'm taking my self-care trip to Target. Sorry, Hobby Lobby. I don't know where y'all go. Where y'all go? Y'all go to Target, Hobby Lobby. Where else are we going? Where else are we going? We go to the mall. We going up. We going down to San Fran. We going to Walnut Creek. I'm gonna call it out. We going up to Napa because we bougie, right? Like wherever you're going, I'm taking all of that to obey Jesus. And if Jesus wants me to do it, He'll give me the resources to keep it. 
I wish I had a witness in this building. So many of us are blaming our lack of financial health on generational curses. No, you spent your money, not your mama. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) You didn't get insurance, not your mama. You didn't go to the dentist. I wish I had somebody in this building. You don't have anything to do but to clear it out and make it obey Jesus. Cut back. Clear out. Thirdly and finally, I want you to challenge you to pay off. Cut back. Clear out. Pay off. And here's a piece. Pay off debt. Let me say this. If God can heal bodies, God can give you the wisdom to pay off your JCPenney card. Y'all got real quiet. What the heck? I'm a, oh my God, like if I were to sit here, God's going to give miracle signs and wonders. Y'all just finished thinking he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That is who you are. But my target card, but my, my gas card, but my student loans. Wait, if God can open blinded eyes, he can give you the wisdom to pay your debt off. If God can open wombs that have been closed... He can give you the wisdom to pay your debt off. If God can perform miracles, he can give you wisdom to pay off your student loans. See, this is the issue. Our faith stops at our money. I really want you to see this. If I got up here and said God's going to perform miracles, I want the altar filled because I feel the anointing of God on my life to cover every miracle. Altars will be filled. We would go to the hospital. We'd be shouting and screaming and makeup be all messed up. But if I tell you that God has given us the anointing to clear off debt, Pastor Justin... Let me tell you something. My financial advisor is wiser than Jesus. My, my friend on TikTok who used to work at a bank is wiser than Jesus. And I get how good God is, but he can't pay my debt off. Are you serious? Are you serious? Give to God what is God. Give to Caesars what is Caesars. And I promise you, what you give to me, I'll take it. I'll press it down. I'll multiply it. And no matter what you give to Caesar, I'll do something with this. But God isn't good enough for that. He opened your womb up. He opened your eyes up. He saved your marriage when it almost fell apart. He healed your body. He removed cancer. But he can't help you with wisdom to pay your bills off? You don't believe me? Go to 1 John chapter 5. So you know I'm not making it up. Everybody, go to 1 John chapter 5. I want you to see this. I'm not making this scripture up. 1 John chapter 5. I want you to see the power you have over your money. Your money does not have power over you. You have power over your money. 1 John chapter 5. And I get we're in American capitalism. And I get Jesus didn't grow up in this. He grew up in a system that was worse than American capitalism. Literally, if you didn't say Caesar is Lord, you'd die. So we don't have it as bad as they had it then. So here, 1 John chapter 5. Verse 14 to 15. Now, this, I want you to underline this. I want you to highlight this. I want you to pray this over yourself every single day this week. Now, this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And we know that since he hears what we ask, we know we have what we asked for. Do you see this? I'm going to back it up and dump it again. This is the confidence we have. When we ask something according to his will, he hears you. And since we know he hears what you ask, you have what you asked for. Are you praying for financial wisdom? Ask for it. Are you praying for financial wisdom? Ask the Lord for it. You have 
what you asked for. If God can heal bodies, he can pay your debt off. If God can destroy Jericho's walls, he can give you wisdom. If God can open closed wombs, he can pay off a mortgage. If God can close this, God can increase your credit score. Have you asked God for the wisdom to do the work you to, 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 that God has called you to do that money will never get in the way of your obedience? Whenever we ask, he hears you. And since he hears what you ask, we know we have what we asked him for. Are we so comfortable with debt? You know, debt, I told you earlier, is being tethered to money. Being in, that's bondage, being in bondage to money. And money lenders. And the world has taught us that debt equals peace. Monthly payment is a calm life. I didn't pay it all at once. I just paid it. I pay it monthly with interest. But it's all good. Because owing someone gives me joy because people love me enough to give me money. No, debt is stressful. Monthly payments are full of worry. And owing somebody, matter of fact, Romans 15 puts it like this. I, God wants you to owe people in one way. He wants you to owe love. Romans 15, think 14. The only thing God wants you to owe is love. But we owe Best Buy and we owe money payday lenders and a lot of us are living on the edge of one missed payment you were just i gotta i gotta pay this one sick day over one bad day and some of us are two steps from being close to the edge and losing your head do you think that that's what god designed your life to be like that god sent his son to die for you died and he's coming back for you to pay your mercedes note like, God came, and he died, and he got up, and you over here on the altar frothing at the mouth for your Tesla? Like, for real? I'm sorry, your Chrysler. Someone was like, I don't have a Tesla. Your Chrysler. I don't know, a Honda. I don't know what it is. Like, whatever you have. This black church theology irritates me because in the black church, we have this theology that I want to deconstruct that keeps us thinking that God wants you to be broke and, like, busted and disgusted so you can see him work. Like, listen to these old songs, like, Jesus can work it out, work it out. I'm going to pay my rent, work it out, all my money spent. Stop. Jesus didn't die for your mismanagement of your money. You knew your rent was coming. I wish I had somebody. I wish I had somebody. But we over here like, he's going to work it out. No, you are immature. Like, you spent all your money and your rent was coming up the same day every month. Matter of fact, I don't rent I own in the first place. That's a whole problem because I'm not a renter. I'm an owner. I'm not a, I wish I had somebody. I don't, I'm, a, I'm an owner. I don't rent. I own because that's what I do in the kingdom. But you spend all your money. And so we sing these songs like God's going to make a way. Like God died you might have life, wisdom, authority, and power. Another song. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Nope, that's a lie. He's omnipresent. What are you talking about? He's He's everywhere at the same time with the same power and authority, so he may not come when you want him. No, you didn't like him where you were. He saw you cheating on your spouse. He saw you spending money ridiculously. He may not come. No, he's right there. You just don't like where he is. And if I call his name, why is it that David can tell us that if I call his, where can I go to flee his presence? Highest mountain, he's right there. Lowest valley, he's right there. But he may not come when you want him. No, he's right there. You just don't like what he told you to do. He'll make a way out of no way. No, he is the way. Yes. Yes. Woo. 
He'll make a way out of no way. No, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you just don't like the path he has you on. Jesus didn't die for you to die. He died for you to have life. So there's no FOMO. There's no fear of missing out. If I'm in his will, I have everything I need. There's no YOLO. You only live once. No. When I die, I get brand new life. I died, to, I died in Christ the first time on earth. That's the first death. And God gave me access to new life. And when I die, when this body deteriorates, I have a life for eternity with Jesus. I don't have any one life to live. I have a life to engage with. He didn't die for you to stop living. He didn't die for you to live month to month. He didn't die for you to live in fear of bank notifications. He didn't die for you to get upset about money. He didn't die for you to, to, to lose your mind when it comes to money, to hope that when you swipe your credit card, you don't get embarrassed when it says declined. God came that you might have life and have that life abundantly. So better is one handful of God's word than two handfuls of people's opinions. Better is one car paid off than a car that looks nice but keeping me broke. Better is a smaller home than a house that I have. Where my spouse and I are fighting over who has the Netflix, uh, who, has, who has somebody else's Netflix login. Better is a house, yep, where I have my money than an apartment where I'm giving it away. Better to own the stuff I have than to have a bunch of stuff that owns me. I hope you all hear my love for you today. This is just me. Rich people are not the ones who have the most. They're the ones who need the least. I want you to invest in your future. I want you to care for your present. I want you to honor your past. Because no matter your age, answer some questions, and I'm finished. When are you planning to retire? We're going to talk about this in the fourth week of our series. Because retirement is not an age. Retirement is a number. <sighs> yep. I'm good today. This is This is... This is, this is just, I love this stuff. When is your next mini retirement? Like, for some reason, we think our lives are lived to work for 30 years in the same place, punching in, punching out, and then we live our, and our life is over, then we leave that place, and then we go and retire, then we have postpartum because we really wish we were working, but we don't want to work, but then you're kind of working, but then you don't want to work. And you, no, 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 no. When are you going to treat yourself well? When are you going to finish a budget for 2024? Plan the work and then work the plan. When are you going to finish your budget? And then when are you going to submit that to God for the wisdom to manage your budget? Because some of us are getting more jobs with less time and then frustrated that you don't sleep. Tired people are tempted people. Tired people are tempted people. When will you pay off one part of your debt? On, online on our website, when you click connect and blog, and it'll go, it was an email that was sent out this morning. I put in there a snowball debt worksheet. And the goal there is I want you to snowball your debt. And snowball, I want you to take one thing and just continue to pay off and pay off and pay off and pay off. You don't need someone to die to get you your freedom. Like, I think too many children, and I'm speaking as a millennial as well who lost a parent. But my mother, she left some things to us, but I was hoping we got the car, got the car, got the house, got this, got this. Because I was like, cool, my mom passed away. I'm like, cool, there's got to be like, I see all these movies, like there's a windfall of like $25 million out of nowhere that's going to pay off all of my debt. I'm going to do this. You don't need your parent to die for you to be free. I'm talking to my generation right now. You don't need your parents to die for you to be free. Woe unto us, oh my God, oh my God, who know where your parents' papers and information is. 
and you are waiting for that day. Yeah, I'm killing idols this month. When are you going to pay off one of your debts? You know, my wife and I, we put a lot of money for our wedding when we got married. And I remember the day, oh, we paid off a Target credit card. Oh, my God. It was so amazing. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to party. Oh, because you don't know how hard we worked. We, like, didn't buy. We didn't eat out. We paid off a Target credit card from our wedding. And then my wife was like, great. Now we got to get to the get to the Jared one because, you know, you bought me that ring. And I was like, what? Hold on. Like, hold on a minute. Like, we did, like, we're supposed to go out and have a $10,000 party for paying off $5,000 worth of debt, right? Like, I'm going to throw a party because I, I, oh, no, no, no. We're going to keep paying off our debt because I'd rather live free than have someone own me. I want you to put a plan together of when you're planning for your financial health to cut back, to clear out, to pay off. So that when God calls your yes out, your money doesn't tell God no. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you to ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me?